Greetings, St. Croix Valley and points beyond. It's Saturday, May 15th, 2021, and River Radio is underway. Coming to you from our studios in beautiful Midtown Marina on St. Croix, this is River Radio. I'm Jim Maher. And I'm Gail Knutson. Much thanks to our technical director, Matt Quast, and uh, our thanks as well to Elaine Larson, who updates our show page normally, but somehow she went and took a vacation this weekend without approval from the uh, River Radio team. So, um, but she nevertheless does a lot of great work on our website, and we are totally thankful for that. And also to Laura Lee DiLorenzo, who handles publicity for us. The program is produced by Jim and Gail and presented by the Marine Community Library. Today on the show, we'll be talking with Fred D. Sam Lazaro of the Untold Stories Project and PBS NewsHour about some of the major stories he's recently been covering. Marine on St. Croix Mayor Kevin Neinheis says he closes in on his first half year in office, and Greg Seitz of St. Croix 360 with news from around the river. And that would be the Undertold Stories Project, just to oh, make what sure did I say, say that. I think you what? said un- Untold, which. Well, those mean, two. Which would mean Fred wouldn't have any work at all if he wasn't telling the story. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Sorry about that, Fred. <laughs> um, also, be sure to follow our podcasts wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and all of our shows are out there in podcast form. Uh, right. Well, this is that day where, uh, you know, in the old radio days, we'd be sitting there with our with our boys going, hey, it's tax filing deadline time, which is uh, uh, very late this year. But Monday is actually the deadline. So if you haven't done that yet, better get on it. Um, a couple of news items this week just wanted to mention. We, we tend to sometimes mention notable passings. And there were a couple local notable deaths this week. Jim Klobuchar of the Star Tribune being one of them. This guy was a real character. Uh, and uh, I mean, there are endless good stories that have been written since his death. But I did link one to our show page that Patrick Royce wrote about uh, Klobuchar's early days on the sports desk in at the Star Tribune with Sid Hartman as editor and what a relationship those two had, which must have been something to be around. Um, also, uh, Spencer Silver, who is the 3M chemist who played a big role in the invention of post-it notes. I bring that up because there's, there's an awful lot of 3Mers in the area here. Uh, he literally came up with the glue that would stick but was removable. So um, another person who passed this week. And what will it, we do without those post-it notes? Oh, I know it. I mean, they're all over my desk right now. So. I know. Yeah. Um, And then I was, uh, if you recall, Gail, in the last show, I mentioned the the mice infestation in parts of Australia. And And Marine. And Marine. (laughs) Yes, and Marine. And then um, now I've been reading about the jumping worms that here in the U.S., um, they raise uh, not only, uh, well, these are just these worms. They're, They're a form of earthworm, but they're not supposedly so beneficial because they basically really churn through the uh, high volumes of surface mulch and litter. And that doesn't allow that to decompose into the soil. So they really take nutrients out of the soil. At least that's what the feeling is right now. And they move like 
practically like rattlesnakes. I mean, they're, they're really active. So um, they really undermine the plants and basically don't appear to be beneficial, though scientists are saying they don't exactly know everything they need to know yet about these worms. But isn't, isn't that funny how you, whoever thought of this, you know, jumping worms, that's the first <laughs> I've heard of them. Yeah, it was me too. So there's a, a, we have a link to a story about that on our show page. Yeah. And then um, the other big news of the week is that uh, the CDC has uh, changed the rules around masking, mask mandates. And uh, I don't know, Gail, I, I feel like in some ways this is creating more confusion than clarity. What do you think? It, I, I still like my mask. Isn't that something? Got used to it. Still think I'm, I'm going to wear mine in public. Why not? Especially in the winter months when it's the cold and flu season. Yeah. And I, I actually heard Dr. Fauci talking about that a couple of weeks ago saying he thought really between December and February it just makes a lot of sense to continue to do it. Um, you know, and given the, the lower uh, incidence of flu this past year, that it seemed like maybe that was actually a, a contributing factor to that. Um, I, it, and that it's interesting too. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how businesses handle this. Um, I mean, even our local stores here, but you know, Walmart and Costco and Trader Joe's are saying now they won't require masks anymore. But, you know, for instance, Walmart is asking their employees to answer on a form whether they have been vaccinated and basically tells them if you haven't been, you got to keep a mask on, which is the way it's supposed to be. But you just kind of worry about, you know, it's a lot of the people out there, at least some of the people out there who aren't thrilled about getting vaccinated also aren't thrilled about wearing a mask. So they may so what would their answer be to the questionnaire, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and how will you be treated if you decide you opt to wear a mask even this August and nobody's been wearing one for two months? Will you feel good going into places with your mask on? Yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, it so, is going to be. Mm-hmm. Hey, this, that, which actually brings yeah. us to our first poll. It does. It brings us right to our first poll question. What is your plan to, on using masks going forward? And you have three options here. I'm done with mask wearing unless absolutely required to. I'm going to continue wearing masks as I have. I may still wear masks in certain venues. Okay, so that brings us to our first guest of the morning. I'm truly happy to invite back to the program our longtime friend, Fred D. Sam Lazaro. You've heard him before as part of our political roundtable with Lori Sturdivant and Brian Gruis, including on election night. And today I wanted a chance to talk to Fred one-on-one about some of the things he's been covering. Fred is the founder of the Undertold Stories Project, a journalistic effort he leads in conjunction with the College of St. Thomas, I should note they also have a podcast. It's called Undertold Verbatim that goes deeper into stories that he covers for TV. Fred also serves as a special correspondent for PBS NewsHour. And we have a link to Undertold Stories on our uh, show page. And that's where you can find stories that Fred has been covering in recent times. Um, And Fred, first of all, great to have you back on the show. What a pleasure, Jim. Good to be here. Good morning, Gail. And uh, it's, uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, COVID situation in India. You did a story about this uh, last week on NewsHour. And uh, you obviously have a, a lot of connections to India. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, can you talk first a little about what a dire situation is going on there? It is, um, it is dire. There's no... Uh... There's no getting away from it. It's about as bad as this pandemic has gotten in any theater globally. And 
there is a lot that's probably undertold that does not bubble up to the surface. Um, and so, yeah, it's pretty bad. We've been hearing just in the last 24 hours of a stabilization overall, but it's still a patchwork across a very vast land. And, uh, and of course, you know, the longer this thing goes on, the more it morphs into new variants. And there is already one that the WHO, the World Health Organization, has, has labeled as a variant of concern. And, uh, and so, yeah, this is a story that, uh, you know, continues, um, continues to worry a lot of people. And, um, you know, there is some sense that Things are stabilizing, um, but again, a long way to go. You're still talking 320,000 new cases per day. Mm. And, uh, and that number with, a, with an asterisk suggesting that it's probably a significant undercount. Right. And, and I wonder, uh, India earlier on actually was getting through the pandemic fairly well, obviously, especially considering its size and the population density, but um, things changing. What do you think led to that? Any, any ideas or any sense of what would have caused it to go so negative? Right. Well, I think it was a perfect storm of a number of factors. Number one, it's a tribute to this, to this virus. If you listen to uh, people like Mike Osterholm, our, um, Minnesota's ambassador to the world of epidemiology. And he'll say that, you know, this is a very, very wily virus and it, uh, it's tricky and, uh, and it morphs. And uh, the other part of it is, is complacency that set in once, you know, those numbers kept being down. There was a lot of concern initially in India. They built a lot of capacity in terms of isolation. Um, India is the single biggest producer of vaccines in terms of its manufacturing capacity. This is one of the big ironies. Uh, but they were exporting these vaccines or sending them to other countries as recently as February because it, you know, it just didn't seem like India was facing as much of a problem. Um, and then added to that uh, were po large political rallies in a couple of states um, or more than a couple of states across India and religious events and boom. I mean, what you have is, you know, a really catastrophic situation today. So it's a, it was one of these things that you knew uh, was theoretically possible and boom, you woke up one morning and there it was. Hmm. You did a story last week about American-based doctors of Indian descent who are trying to help from a distance. Can you tell mm -hmm. us more about that? Well, this is, you know, one of the other ironies, about one out of every 10 physicians practicing in the United States today are of Indian origin. And uh, that's a startling figure when you think about it. It's about 80,000 people. And the vast majority of them, 80% of them, are graduates of medical school in India. And so by virtue of that, you know, they're recent arrivals in the United States. So the ties to India are very recent and they're very uh, deep. And so a lot of these folks are running you know, themselves ragged in some ways, because I'm talking to you now at about nine o'clock in, uh, in Minnesota, it's 8.30 PM tonight in India. And, uh, and so a lot of doctors in the United States are working through their nights 
treating patients virtually in India and just imparting, you know, sound medical advice, which is also in short supply because doctors there are so thinly spread. So this is um, an attempt of a, you know, by a diaspora to be engaged in some way. They've got, you know, family and friends um, back in the homeland that uh, are in desperate need. There's almost nobody in the country that isn't affected by this or isn't close to um, this pandemic, obviously, because it is everywhere. Hmm. And so our attempt was to look at this, this connection. I talked to um, a doctor at uh, Dr. Priya Sampath Kumar, who is a, an infectious disease physician at the Mayo Clinic, who's taken a leave of absence to do this. And, uh, and there are scores, hundreds of doctors across the country doing this, uh, doctors of Indian origin and friends of theirs. So it's, uh, it's, it's just one way that people are trying to engage with a problem that is just so overwhelming. I'm talking to Fred DeSam Lazaro of PBS NewsHour. Uh, Fred, you normally travel the world covering what you aptly describe as undertold stories. But in the past 15 months or so, travel's been pretty much off limits. But then you had a, a big story that kind of came to you in terms of the whole George Floyd situation. And I know you did a number of uh, pieces on that. Uh, so now that we're past the, the first trial, the Derek Chauvin trial, what's your take on how that's affected the movement that started after the tragic events of last May? Well, one of the things that you find in moments you know, uh, oh, in periods such as the one that we've just lived through thus far, is um, how long will the, will the headlines remain headlines? How long before, you know, the, the stamina recedes and, and people go about, you know, their business of conducting, you know, daily life, albeit in a pandemic situation here. And, uh, one of the noteworthy things I think about what we're seeing in Minnesota as a microcosm for the country, I should say, is that we're going to be reliving this issue or visiting this issue periodically in the headlines and in our media buzz for the next, as far as the eye can see, because as you know, this week, Judge Peter Cahill announced that the trial of the other three officers is going to take place uh, now in the spring of 2022, it was originally scheduled for August of 2021. We've got a Department of Justice investigation of the police department in Minneapolis. Uh, that's gonna keep you know, issues of race and social um, justice or racial justice in the media, in the spotlight. And uh, you have uh, federal charges against the four officers involved in George Floyd's killing and so, this is going to this buzz is going to continue, and and uh, I should add that there's a great deal of conversation going on across the board, um, in communities, um, especially in Minneapolis, of course, about you know, uh, about inequity in, in this state, and uh, and how do we bridge you know the the growing divide amongst communities in our in our state? So. Um, and my overall sense is that this is not going away very, very fast. We're going to continue to be talking about these issues and, um, and worry about the fatigue. You know, people want to move on because it's tiresome, but it's not going away. 
So I know now that the, uh, if I believe now that there'll be a vote in November, the voters uh, deciding about this new public safety department. Uh-huh. That, there's another story that I, you know, and, and you did some stories last year about, and, and we have talked to some folks on the show too, about the whole idea of, of revamping how the police operate. Um, where do you think that's going? It seems like that's not a cut and dry deal at all. Oh, by no means is it. Is it that? I mean, and there there is a great deal of um, complexity in this story. There's the political story. Uh, the wording of the ballot initiative will be up to the city council, assuming that the that the uh, pardon me, assuming that the signatures are valid and the, and and they have been. Um, it they have the the required number of signatures to get this on the ballot, but the city attorney in Minneapolis needs to certify that it's, that it passes muster legally according to the city's uh, charter. Then the mayor and the city council word a document, uh, or word the initiative rather, and it goes to the voters. Uh, How much change can come about at a city level is a big question because a number of the issues to do with policing and protections for police officers and, uh, and practices in policing are done at the state level. And, you know, you have uh, a very different scenario when you get to the Minnesota legislature, in particular, the Minnesota Senate. So, um, you know, I think we, we're going to see movement. I'm not sure how much it moves the needle overall based on the people that I've been speaking with. Well, Fred, um, you haven't been on the road for a long time. Uh, and we were just talking before the show about even, you know, trying to figure out a place to go this summer, if that's even doable, just for fun. But uh, so I'm wondering, when do you think you will be back traveling for stories? And are there any particular uh, topics you're kind of keeping an eye on right now as potential uh, feature items for you? Well, I think this pandemic is going to be with us. It's, it's, you know, it's omnipresent. We are, of course, living in a world that seems to be bifurcating between the vaccinated and the non. But I, uh, even as we start to relax and um, you know, go to Costco this morning without masks on if we want, if we're vaccinated, um, even if you know, we feel a certain measure of having come through, uh, I don't think it's going away. If you listen to any epidemiologist, they will tell you that uh, until everybody's vaccinated, nobody is safe. And getting everybody vaccinated is years from a reality. And uh, and so that for you know for what we do reporting wise is um, is going to be a priority. You know, wh- how is the vaccine rollout working? Um, in parts of sub-Saharan Africa, for example, in South Asia. Um, How are we going to bring this under control? And then there's been a whole lot of collateral damage that this pandemic has done globally in terms of things that we just haven't been paying attention to because we've been consumed by the pandemic. And so if you go to many parts of the world, childhood immunization rates have come down. And that's true even in the United States. so we'll be looking at some of those issues as well, but the pandemic continues to loom large over virtually all aspects of, you know, of human civilization right now. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And that, and that story is sadly not going away anytime soon. Well, right. Fred, 
as, as always, I have to say it's a pleasure and uh, really appreciate you being on and, and we'll look forward to reconnecting with you uh, next season on River Radio. Thank you, Jim, and enjoy this gorgeous, gorgeous day here in the uh, in the in your River Valley and here just a few miles south of you in downtown St. Paul. Downtown St. Paul, and you're overlooking uh, that baseball stadium that will be active again. I'm overlooking the farmer's market right about now. Ah, on my way. That's Have great. great Good. Yeah, you too, Fred. Thanks a lot. You bet. Bye-bye. Fred D. Sam Lazaros with the Undertold Stories Project and special correspondent for PBS NewsHour. And I think it's fair to say he is the finest Twin Cities-based television journalist, uh, and really I, not just television journalist, just journalist uh, in the Twin Cities. Uh, really appreciate Fred's time, and I've always had great respect for the work he does. Uh, let's bring an end to poll question number one, and thank you all for participating. Interesting to hear the comments here. What are your plans going forward with mask use? Uh, two, six uh, percent, I should say, are saying they're done with mask wearing unless absolutely uh, necessary or required to. Uh, 26% plan to pretty much continue going on as they have been and wearing a mask. And 69% of you, most of you say you may still wear a mask, but in certain venues. So that is the result of that poll. Uh, in a few minutes, we'll be talking to new Marine Mayor Kevin Neinheis and later on Greg Seitz of St. Croix 360. But first, it's time for a roundup of area news. And with that, our news director, Gail Knudsen. Uh, Jim, you're going to do that teletype uh, sound uh, effects? Okay, thanks. There you go. The traditional Memorial Day service at Marines Oakland Cemetery will take place on Monday, May 31st, starting at 1030. After the ceremony, coffee and cookies will be served by the Marine Civic Club. Marines 4th of July parade will start when the noon whistle blows that day. Anyone can march in the parade. Lineup begins at 11 a.m. at Berkey Street. And if you have any questions, you can contact Sarah Tennis. Her contact info is on our show page. Road removal has begun at the south end of Judd Street with work heading northward. Dressel Contracting will work with uh, drivers and cyclists to pass through along Judd Street, but if you can take another route for the time being, it would be appreciated. There will be no parking in the phase two work area. Next week, workers will continue to remove pavement and lay the gravel base with the intent to begin paving that base on Friday, May 21st. The Marine City Council is exploring reissuing bonds for the Marine School property, essentially refinancing to a lower interest rate. This would save the city $87,430 over the term of the bonds. The city will hold a public hearing on the matter at the next council meeting on June 10th. Save your shreds once again. Security State Bank and Marine will be hosting their free shredding day. Bring your documents, old taxes, and personal papers to the shred truck by the bank next Saturday, May 22nd from 9 to noon. And next Saturday is also Heavy Metal Day here in Marine from 9 to noon. This is a chance for Marine residents to drop off large items like TVs or mattresses. A fee is charged and updated fees will be posted on the city website prior to that event. With the closing of Highway North, the Judd Street Properties Partners are considering tenants for the next use of that space and are particularly interested in a business that would perhaps feature food and foster community gathering. If you are interested in the space, you can contact Marine residents and property owners, Sarah Rotunda and Jerry Glom through our show page. 
The Scandia Farmer's Market is hosting a plant sale this coming Wednesday, March 19th from 4 to 6. The event will be held in the Scandia Community Center parking lot. Then on Wednesdays, starting June 9th, the Scandia Farmer's Market will once again be in full swing. Rustic Roots Winery will be hosting a Farmers and Artisans Market on Thursday, May 10th, or I'm sorry, Thursday, May 20th from 4 to 7 p.m. Rustic Roots is located across from Abrahamson's Nursery on Highway 95 in Scandia. The Scandia Marine Lions Club will again be hosting Taco Days this fall. The date is set for Saturday, September 11th. The Lions are looking for businesses, nonprofits, families, and individuals to be sponsors in their Taco Days advertising insert. The earlier the Lions receive sponsors, the sooner they can plan what activities will be possible. The St. Croix River Association will hold its outdoor spring gathering on Thursday, May 20th from 4 to 8 p.m. The event takes place at the Franconia Sculpture Park. Among the many activities are a talk by Natalie Warren, author of the new book, Hudson Bay Bound, Two Women, One Dog, 2,000 Miles to the Arctic. Music will be provided by Kyle Tennis. Tickets range from $10 for youth to $55 for adults, which includes dinner from your choice of local food trucks. See the link on our show page to find out more. And if you like biking, put August 15th on your calendar for the first annual Bridge the Valley Bike Rally sponsored by the Stillwater Sunrise Rotary Club with assistance from Sustainable Stillwater, Minnesota. There will be several different bike rides that will start and finish at Chestnut Street Plaza, which is directly west of the newly renovated lift bridge. This family-friendly event is for beginners to experts, from short routes for families to an epic 100-mile challenge that comes through Marine and Scandia before heading over the bridge to Osceola. Look for their link on our show page to sign up. And today is May 15th, and it's recognized by the United Nations as being the International Day of Families. And if our daughter was here, that would be three of us doing family digging in the gardens to celebrate the day. Jim? <laughs> but we're truly that international family since she's in Spain. So That is true. Uh, yeah. So there we go. We're fitting the day. We are. Well, thanks, Gail. And uh, actually, I think before we head on to our next guest, maybe you want to start our next poll. I do. It was announced this week that the Guthrie Theater and Broadway are reopening with productions in the fall. So we're curious what in-person events are you ready to start attending, assuming that normal audiences will be allowed. You can choose more than one. Live theater, movies in a theater, sporting events, concerts, the state fair and or county fair, special events like fireworks displays. And uh, yeah, go ahead and vote on that. And as she said, you can vote for a multiple on, uh, on that one. And now it's time to uh, bring to the table the mayor of Marine, Kevin Neinheis. Kevin and his wife Jody have lived in Marine for a long time and raised their kids here. But just last November, he was elected mayor uh, by a two-vote margin. So landslide Kevin is what we'd like to call him. He assumed the office in January, and he just presided over his fifth city council meeting. Marine's government has what it would be termed a weak mayor system, not a reflection of the person, of course, but that the city council as a whole has the power, and the mayor is one of the five votes in the council. We wanted to give Mayor Nineheis some time to get his feet wet before we had him on the show, but we're really happy to welcome him this morning. Mayor Nineheis, welcome to uh, River Radio. Good morning. Good morning, good people of Marine and points beyond. 
Well, there's a lot going on in Marine, so I thought uh, I should give you, uh, have you give us a rundown of some of those issues. Uh, the big story is the moment, as Gail mentioned on the news, is the major road work that continues in downtown Marine. Uh, she gave us the latest, but can you talk a little longer term? What's, uh, what's the timeline on this project from this point forward? Well, again, great progress. Uh, we've been just uh, blessed by a great uh, working with a contractor who's just done a great job. We saw that in the fall uh, with their work. Same crew came back. Uh, actually, they assigned the same crew to come back this spring, and, and we, we are elated. Uh, a little bit of inconvenience throughout the summer, um, but as batch plants open up and, and asphalt is available, we'll start to see some really nice final lifts. And, and again, the heavy lifting has been done, um, and the structure is there for us to have a complete project by uh, sometime in the summer. Okay, so not a final date put on that yet, but are we thinking July, August, somewhere in there? The dates float a little bit because of availability of material and, and, and all that. But um, yeah, it's on schedule. Lon Pardon has done a great job of shepherding us along with uh, Council Member Roden, uh, keeping everyone informed downtown. Uh, there's a weekly meeting for businesses, and um, those updates are on our website as well. So another issue that's coming to the forefront is a cell tower. Here in Marine, we kind of uh, notoriously have fairly weak cell service, although it's, it's spotty and it's stronger in some places than others or with certain carriers than others. Um, I know that right now that's still in the hands of the Planning Commission, but can you talk to us about the process there and what happens from this point? Yeah, it, it, it is a um, probably a really great study in governance. Um, for a community such as ours that has a concern. And again, we as council serve our community um, and have the best interests in the community in mind. Uh, so when you step into something that's uh, both heavily regulated, both heavily lobbied uh, by a for-profit industry, uh, you have uh, certain differences of opinions on what a solution would be. Um, it is probably, again, the structure of governance where we have a, a active and really robust planning commission. Uh, and so the, the charge was given to the planning commission was to update our ordinance for uh, the potential for a cell phone tower or towers or whatever the design features are that will accomplish the goal. It's interesting because you then you know, do you have a round peg and you're going to design a round hole for it? Or do you have a round peg uh, and you design the hole that's appropriate and you can't make the hole too small uh, and have an ordinance that doesn't suffice, but also the ordinance shouldn't drive uh, the answer as presented. It should preside really the answer that is sought by the community. So we're in the phase of uh, the good work of the planning commission, uh, great dialogue between the planning commission and the council. Uh, the Planning Commission asked for some outside assistance because, again, so much regulation, both at the state and federal level, that we needed some guidance from those that are in the industry. So um, public hearing is, I believe, June, um, and we're starting to move uh, the puck down the, the, to the, you know, we're moving the puck down the road. So it's in, in good hands. I mean, again, for those that don't engage with it regularly, uh, you should be thankful and confident that the process is uh, broad and, and it's um, uh, members that are involved and, and we will try to have the best solution for Marine. Yeah, and I think that uh, public hearing is June 29th, if I'm not mistaken. So 
that's yep. something people should have on their calendars. Yeah. Um, now, a, a, a year ago, the issue we were dealing with was an ordinance around short-term rentals. And I'm not going to expect any long discussion here, but I just know that the city is involved in some litigation right now that was presented by uh, one Airbnb operator in town. And uh, I know you can't tell us a lot, but can you give us an update just on where that stands right now? Well, I can, uh, I can give you the update that's of public record and, and public notification. Should have gone up on the website yesterday. Uh, in closed session, we had a uh, another meeting with the uh, representative uh, our attorney that is both our city attorney and we have great uh, legal assistance from the League of Minnesota Cities. Um, the notice that would go up is that a court date has been set for July 10th. Uh, the judge would have then 90 days to rule. Um, we have taken as a city uh, a position that we want to win this action. So uh, we have been under great counsel. A lot can't be said. Uh, again, stepping into the public role that I did in January, there's a, you know, there is an understanding again that I represent the city in this regard and have taken great, uh, my direction from the legal counsel that we have. So here's another issue I'll just throw out there. Um, it's summertime and the, we get a lot more uh, activity, a lot more traffic here in Marine, and that includes a lot of motorcycle traffic. Um, is there anything the city could look at in terms of uh, how we deal with noise issues that, that arise certainly in the summer? I, I, uh, Jim, I sure hope so. I, um, I, I think it has, this has been an issue, uh, uh, in concern of residents and council for a long time. I think there have been efforts made. Um, I will continue to investigate what conversations can occur and, and what, uh, authority we have as a city and if that can be expanded in any way um, I plan to live here a long time and so I I really too want to take this issue on as as again uh, other council members have and see it it's an ongoing conversation for sure and we we get maybe lulled over the course of the winter and, and uh, all of a sudden we just as the birds return we we the issue returns so it's a it's a something to have dialogue about uh, ongoing. That same concern applies to the river and the traffic on the river. And uh, we have good citizens putting forward ideas on how to, you know, further that dialogue. So we'll continue to have those channels open, open to ideas. Uh, I have every call that I've received since taking office, I have encouraged uh, dialogue. I love to take walks uh, and have encouraged anyone that just wants to come and have a chat and give ideas. Um, to do that. Uh, I'd love to show off the property and the restoration work we're doing here in Jackson Meadow or happy to walk Judd Street or, or any other uh, part of Marine. And so that that is an issue for sure, Jim. Okay. I'm speaking with Kevin Neinheis, the new mayor of Marine on St. Croix. And uh, Kevin, the Marine School Building, of course, owned by the city now. And Gail mentioned in the news about the, the, the uh, potential refinancing or rebonding of this to get a lower uh, interest rate. Uh, what can you tell us about the property and the prospects for the school right now? Are there any, uh, do we have any better sense of that at this point? Well, we continue to get updates from uh, the Marine Village School uh, Board. Uh, when Miller is the chair, uh, we hear from them regularly. They are in dialogue uh, with Lon, pardon, specifically under properties as, in, as we engage with the city. Uh, the folks who will certainly has uh, uh, been a, a tenant 
and uh, we would look for other potential tenants if if the school um, lease does not go forward with the school. We have uh, been a great encourager of the Marine Village School concept and to their board. I tried to personally invest some time to kind of assist and move that down the road. And uh, we like a lot of things that are governed. Uh, there is a timeline to things and we are now waiting for the state authorizer. So that pushes that uh, final answer out until September, at which time uh, we remain optimistic that that will be the solution for the school. In the meantime, I believe as uh, city representatives, we need to open channels to other conversations, um, at least preliminary and understand if there is a potential other tenant. Okay. Well, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. It is. Uh, and I, and again, as, as someone who raised their kids at Marine school and, and uh, know that the quality will happen there, I am hugely advocating that that be the solution. Uh, Kevin, I know you have a lot on your plate as the mayor, but as a fresh face in this role, is there a particular vision you have for where you'd like to see this community go as we move forward? Well, uh, thanks for giving me a few months to get uh, my feet under my belt. I would say, um, metaphorically, uh, the river teach, you know, has always taught me, if you want to get to the shore, you got to kind of swim upstream uh, and then you'll get to the point you wanted to get to because uh, the current's going to take you. So the same thing would be on any initiative and uh, thing that I'd like to see accomplished. There are some things, um, yeah, but I'm, Kind of just getting into the water on it and don't really maybe want to bring that forward yet. Uh, I ran on a platform of participation, uh, preservation, and possibilities. And uh, I expect now that COVID's opened up, we can have a little more chance to circulate and, and uh, have met so many good folks that are either new or been here a long time that would like to participate at different levels. So that's a real goal of mine. Uh, preservation, I think, with the work that we've done at Jackson Meadow. And along with the city, because it's actually a restoration of city parkland, and I always refer to it as parkland because it's for everyone. Um, that model could be applied to other pieces that the city owns. And so that is something that's certainly on uh, my to-do list. And then possibilities, bring forward ideas. Uh, we have a gem of a village. I travel the state, actually I travel four states for work, go to a lot of towns, Go through a lot of towns. I always try to spend a dollar when I'm there. I always ask people that come through Marine to spend a dollar while they're here. So I try to live that out where else I am. But I've seen a lot of great villages and towns and small cities. And, but we have quite a gem. And uh, there are some things that I think we can yet share with others from outside and enjoy ourselves a little bit more. I think you're right, and uh, I it, it um, and I have to also laud you because uh, the, the great work at, up at Jackson Meadow, the trails, and uh, I know all the the people up there put a lot of effort into um, maintaining the the land up there. And now you have uh, uh, these benches along the trails, really impressive. Yeah, you know the whole system is a great city uh, community, uh, I guess homeowners association. It's it's really a it's a civic uh, model that works. The city is involved and does a great job of maintaining the trails through mowing. Uh, uh, citizens can bring forward new ideas. I wanna really credit Carol Teasdale um, for forcing us to get some new benches on the, uh, sorry, I got emotional. 
We just yeah. lost Carol. So we just lost her. Yeah. Come enjoy those benches and and uh, remember both she and uh, and those loved ones you've had. So darn Jim, you choked me. Oh, out. sorry about that. <laughs> I, I didn't did not mean to do that. But maybe but this again. is a good time for me to step in, Jim, and start the grilling. Uh, yeah, right, yeah, right. Let's ask the tough question. Uh, do well, save enough time. You know, I have a I have a special announcement to make today. Yeah, you were well, saying that. Let's let's have you do that right now, Kevin. Yeah, I haven't been watching the clock, but uh, all those that listen, uh, you are the first to hear. Uh, per per uh, per the city, we uh, live in the shadow a little bit of Scandia's our, our sister city of the north. Uh, Scandia's success with naming their their snowplow. Uh, I sent a, an email off to the mayor and just congratulated her on a great coup for both public relations and community engagement. But our village, we own a street sweeper and it needs a name. So I'm announcing now a street sweeper naming contest. Details will follow, but you're the first to hear. Uh, the goal would have a name for our street sweeper and for it to be, uh, to, I might even drive it myself through the 4th of July parade. So uh, we're excited about that. And uh, it's a great asset to the city, especially with our downtown and uh, the new uh, asphalt we'll have. It'll keep uh, everything looking ship shape. The guys, the public works guys do a great job of that. And it was a, a wise investment to, to make that purchase of a used sweeper. So it needs a name and uh, could bring a little personality to it all. I think great, uh, great I th idea. Th that is a great idea. And I think another one we could auction off opportunities to drive the street sweeper and you might be able to pay for that school so jim uh let's get together come up take a walk and uh we'll, our list will be long i'm sure <laughs> sure well mayor nineheis i want to thank you so much for joining us this morning on the show i thank you for the work you guys do with the river radio well it's our pleasure and uh Great to have you here, and, and thank you, and to all the council members for the work you all do. Um, Kevin Neinheis is the mayor of Marine on St. Croix and dropped a major exclusive here on River Radio this morning. Wow, that's big. That is that's, cool. that's big news. I think it is. I think yeah, that's fun. Yeah. So if he drives that in the 4th of July parade, and I'm driving the rescue rig, I should probably be behind him just in case. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably going to get a call that day. Okay. Okay. Let's uh, let's close out this poll, Gail, and you want to give us the rundown. Right. It was, I mean, what in-person events are you ready to start attending, assuming that normal size audiences will be allowed? And it was multiple choice. Uh, let's see. Our, well, wow, we've got some real ties with live theater, concerts, state and county fair, spe uh, special events like fireworks displays. Those were the highest at 57%. Movies in a theater, 30%. Oh, sporting events, 39%. Movies in a theater was was last, last. place. Yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. So yeah, I, I really wonder what's going to happen with theater, movie theaters. So I know, I know, and and we have a lot of issues too on our own to talk about with that in terms of like Marine Documentary Night and what do we do? Right. So yeah. So anyway, well, thanks people which, for oh, which, responding Jim, on that. But go ahead. Yeah. We should mention that that's still um, a goal, Marine Documentary Night this fall. I'll mm -hmm. just say we've got our dates booked with um, Lynette and Susanna at the town hall. So it's the first Thursday of the month starting in October for five months. So it's October, November, December, January, and February. 
So we're just going to go ahead as planned, see how things, what happens and follow guidelines. Yeah, we'll we'll hope it works out. And um, Gail, on that same front, uh, the Oscar Shorts uh, program is uh, still viewable. It is still viewable. So if you want to see any of the three Oscar, the live action shorts, uh, short animation or short documentary, you could see the five nominees in each category. You can buy one category at a time or all three categories, but you can still view them if you're curious. Um, some of the proceeds from that will go to Marine Doc Night. So we've got an agreement with Magnolia Pictures in New York. They become great friends of Marine Documentary Night. And uh, yeah, so I encourage you to do that if you haven't done it, especially, boy, I really liked the live action shorts. It was just five excellent films this year. Um, the documentaries, the animated, there's lots of interesting stuff there too. But Very, very good stuff, yes. Definitely love the live year. action. Uh, also, just a reminder that if you didn't catch our program with Diane Wilson a few weeks ago, uh, she's the author of The Seed Keeper. You can find that replay in the library website. And the library is open. The streets are dug up in front of it right now. So it's a little bit more of, um, you know, a challenge to get there, but you can get there. And uh, we are open on Tuesdays and Fridays from four to seven and Saturday mornings right now. It's open from nine until noon. And uh, we'll hopefully be able to expand our hours maybe as the summer goes on, but we'll see how that goes. And I'm going to uh, get us to our final poll question before we get to our final guest. And I want to, this is one that kind of gets at a little summary of our show for the year and get a little feedback from you. We're curious to hear what types of guests are the most meaningful to you. So you can choose uh, multiple answers here, but try to keep it to your top three, if you would. Uh, That would be the most helpful to us. Uh, who do you like seeing? Is it local residents and experts? Like we just had Mayor Neinheis on. We've had St. Croix Heritage Area discussion, local business owners on. Another option is leading political figures. We've had Governor Walls, Senator Tina Smith, Tom Emmer, Steve Simon, the Secretary of State, and others. Uh, notable journalists like Fred DeSan Lazaro this morning, Emily Bazelon's been on, Lori Sturdivant, Mary Devine, Pat Kessler are some of those that we had on this past season. Uh, medical experts, we talked about Dr. Osterholm. He's been on a couple times. Dr. Rebecca Words from the U of M was another great COVID uh, expert that we had on. Uh, finance and economy experts, we've had on Neil Kashkari and Ross Levin's been a frequent guest. Uh, environmental and outdoors experts, and by that I kind of mean anything that's outdoors related, gardening, whatever. And we've had Green Steps discussions. Uh, Angie Hong from the Washington Conservation District gave us some great information. Travel experts like uh, Kyle Potter from Thrifty Traveler and Cameron Hewitt from Rick Steves Europe. And of course, authors. We did a whole program with local authors. So those are your categories to choose from. And if you have others that I didn't mention or that you, the kind of categories of people you'd like to hear, just drop a note in the chat box if you want to. So there you go. Sorry, that was a long-winded poll question from my end, but uh, take some time to think about that and vote. And Gail, over to you. All right. Well, this might start to qualify as a tradition, but last year we closed out our season with Greg Seitz from St. Croix 360. And this year we're doing it again. Greg is an excellent writer and journalist who really provides a service with his St. Croix 360 website and online newsletter. It offers great insights on issues of importance, but also finds the lighter side of life here on the St. Croix River. Greg grew up in Stillwater and now lives in May Township with his family. He's an avid canoeist, kayaker, pontoonist, nature watcher, occasional angler, and overall river bomb. Greg, 
Welcome to River Radio this morning. Thanks for having me back. It's an honor to, to help close out this year's season. Well, it's springtime on the river and the water's uh, pretty low right now for this time of year, given how dry it's been. What are you seeing out there when you paddle? Yeah, uh, it is quite low. And so I'm seeing a lot of sand <laughs> on the bottom. Um, mm -hmm. it's, uh, the, the, the water is kind of like at late August drought conditions. We've just been really dry lately. Um, so that, but that actually opens up some really cool opportunities. One thing that I saw this week that I only would have seen because the water was so low um, was the migration of a lot of shorebirds. And I was out on the river down by the Rice Lake area where there's a lot of large kind of, uh, kind of parts of large, uh, large bodies of water and then large uh, kind of beaches and flats of mud and sand. And they were just covered in these yellow legs. So there's two kinds of uh, species of yellow legs, uh, shorebirds with these long yellow legs. And they were loving all the shallow water because it opened up all these shallow areas and flats to them to run around and poke long beaks into the sand and the mud to, to find bugs and things like that. And they're headed all the way up to Canada or Alaska. They won't stick around here, but they obviously found a great spot to sort of fuel up on their migration. And aren't the green herons back as well? Yep, I did see one green heron so far this year. Yeah, I love those birds. Those uh, they um, they're, they they can either be really skittish, I found, or really friendly. Sometimes they you don't get a good look at them, and sometimes you do. Um, huh. But and then yeah, I don't know if you know, but they actually supposedly use bait to fish. They will drop an insect on the surface of the water or something, and then wait for a fish to come eat it, and then. And then oh grab no, it. kidding! Yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah, pretty cool. Well, that's that's great. Yeah. The river, uh, the river levels, um, you know, it's been fluctuating a lot in recent years. So um, what's going on with that? Yeah, great question. It has been fluctuating a lot. It kind of seems like we either get uh, a season where uh, people sort of measure it by if there's a no wake zone in Stillwater on the 4th of July, um, and that because the water levels are so high so late in the season. Um, so we've had several years where that's been the case, and it's very frustrating for boaters and things where you can't really get out and enjoy it like you want to. Um, and so, yeah, we've had these, these years where it seems like we have just kind of really high water all season. And then we've had other years, um, like this year is kind of shaping up. And, and last year was pretty low um, overall as well. But uh, yeah, and then getting this, um, getting these really dry years where the water is very low. You know, there's, of course, natural, natural fluctuation and precipitation patterns and weather, um, you know, that, that can play in here. The river's always seen fluctuations like this. Um, but of course, with climate change, um, that can really disrupt weather patterns and precipitation patterns um, and actually see a little bit more of this feast or famine sort of, uh, um, you know, when it rains, it pours, but when it doesn't, <laughs> it sure doesn't, um, right. uh, these kinds of patterns as well. So um, it's hard to say exactly, uh, but, you know, what we've actually seen with climate change more has been more of the flooding has been blamed on that, um, uh, causing more uh, kind of freak and, and, and extreme rainstorms that cause big floods all year long. So. Um, it's hard. It's hard to say exactly what's going on, but something feels a little off. Little off, yeah. We measure it by how many times we have to get out of uh, the pontoon and drag it upstream. Yeah. So yeah. then yeah, we know exactly. it's low. <laughs> exactly. Been there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're um, always concerned about invasive invasive species on the Saint Croix, like zebra mussels. Is there? I heard some news about they've been spotted as um, as far north as Stillwater now. What have you heard? Yeah, you know, um, I'm glad you asked about that because about eight years ago, back in 2011, 2012, there were these reports that came out that the zebra mussels had all but disappeared from the lower St. Croix River. 
And there were theories about that, but uh, you know, they were out there doing surveys of zebra mussels. And I, one year they found 22 zebra mussels where they had previously found thousands and thousands of zebra mussels. Um, so like I said, there were some theories about that if high water had actually sort of flushed them out of the lower river or what. But um, the National Park Service and the US Army Corps of Engineer has uh, had cinder blocks sitting on the bottom of the river from Stillwater to Prescott for 15 years now which is how they measure the sort of density of zebra mussels. They go out and look at those cinder blocks every year and see how many zebra mussels are on it. And um, yeah, and unfortunately, starting last year, they saw a dramatic increase again in uh, the zebra mussels they were finding on, the, on those sample sites, those, those cinder blocks. Um, and so that's a concern, yeah. And they have previously, uh, they were first found, um, you know, reproducing in the St. Croix River um, in, in 2000. The first, uh, the first few had been found a few years before that, but as far as like really establishing themselves, that started just 21 years ago. Um, mm. And it's just been a little bit of a roller coaster, but yeah, they've been found as far as Stillwater. Um, and uh, ever since 1996, the National Park Service has blocked travel upstream um, from the high bridge, past the high bridge from the Stillwater area to try to prevent um, zebra mussels from spreading even farther north. Right. So. The feds used to have that station there and you had to have a sticker if you came down from the north on your boat that allowed you to go down, but be back within the same day. Now, yeah. without that uh, federal um, station there, it was just a houseboat that you registered at. How do, um, how do you enforce that? Yeah, um, as far as I know, it's just the, the rangers who might happen to be out there or the sheriff water patrols. Um, if they see somebody going past it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I can tell you, I just saw this week again, I was out down in that area paddling and I saw a fishing boat that had come up to, uh, to fish um, Rice Lake area and went roaring back down south uh, past the high bridge. So they obviously weren't complying. Um, yeah, and I, um, so that checkpoint, I mean, the, the rule is still there. You're not supposed to drive north of the high bridge um, from below, um, or, you know, drive your boat, but, uh, the, what the enforcement is much lower and there's not that checkpoint that there once was. And, um, you know, that, that puts more of the river at risk of these mussels being, uh, invading. Of course, the mussels can still make it up here. If somebody just simply trailers their boat, you know, from the lower rivers, for instance, up to the upper river. Yeah. But just puts uh, in at William O'Brien. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, but that said, of course, uh, every little bit you can do to restrict that is good. So, prevent right. the upstream travel is is helpful. Well, on our last program, we got into a discussion about factory farms that we refer to as CAFOs, um, concentrated animal feeding operations. So what's the latest on that? Yeah, your upstream. last show two weeks ago with Lisa Doerr, uh, mm -hmm. I thought was fantastic. Lisa's an excellent uh, spokesperson on this issue and very knowledgeable. Um, and, you know, so she gave a great overview just two weeks ago. Um, I would just add that the, the most recent developments are that the, uh, just a week ago Friday, the uh, company Cumberland um, LLC submitted all of its application materials for that CAFO now in Trade Lake, um, the hog factory, I believe, as Lisa called it. Um, you know, and they, they really are. It's 20, it would be 26,000 hogs um, in three huge barns. Um, they produced 7 million gallons of manure plus other waste, which would be spread on about um, 1,800 acres of agricultural fields um, within about four miles of the farm. So you're really talking about a lot of manure. Um, hogs create a tremendous amount of manure um, in a very small area. And uh, that would be uh, in the watershed of a couple tributaries of the St. Croix, the Trade and the Wood Rivers. Um, and yeah, these things have really decimated uh, Iowa. Their, their uh, rivers down there have been really uh, affected and polluted by them. Um, it's, just a, it's just a lot of waste in a small area. And uh, 
it, it seems it, it seems like a real uh, threat to the the future of the clean water of the Saint Croix. So the DNR is taking a look at that now, that yes. application, right? So mm -hmm. do they look at um, what what happened in Iowa and take that into consideration? Yeah, good question. Um, the, the big part of it is really just looking at uh, their plan for disposing of all the manure. And that's um, just saying, you know, you're going to spread this much manure um, on this field. Is, is Can it handle that based on its soils or slope or geology? Um, those kinds of things. Um, you know, the, unfortunately, in the state of Wisconsin, the legislature has really removed most local control of these hog factories or these factory farms. Um, where the, the local counties or the townships have limited uh, ability to actually um, restrict or even study the issue more. Um, so uh, there's, they can look, I think we can all look at what's happened in Iowa. I'm not sure it really factors into this analysis. Um, it's going to be looked at on a one, you know, on a case by case basis. And, um, right. and then really based on what, whatever the Wisconsin state standards are. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch the local communities, the county, Burnett County has taken steps um, to protect itself. And, it, and now that there's a real application on the table, it will be very interesting to see how it plays out. Well, I, I just, uh, here's my picture in my head, 26,000 hogs yeah. that don't go outside. The fans blow the gases from their waste out the buildings. They can be smelled six miles away and there's no regulations on air emissions? None, none. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it was just sort of because it's considered agriculture, I guess, agriculture wow. gets a lot of exemptions from some of these restrictions. So um, it doesn't look like agriculture, but I guess it still counts. Oh, my gosh. Anybody who's ever driven past a pig farm, there's a definite different odor than there is looking out at a bunch of cows. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a, it's just a lot of animals in a very small space. Hey, uh, recently we had, um, we're going to switch here to, we had yeah. a paddler come through on the St. Croix every now and then. Somebody will do the whole length of the St. Croix named Jeff Butler. And you um, you met him and uh, paddled a little bit with him. What's yeah. what's Jeff's story doing top to bottom on the St. Croix? Well, yeah. And as we speak, I think Jeff is probably paddling into Prescott this very moment, finishing his trip down the entire 170 miles of the St. Croix. Uh, he was scheduled to do that this morning. If listeners want, they could probably run down to Prescott after the show and still get a root beer float, which are being served at Freedom Park uh, starting at 10 a.m. But uh, so, yeah, Jeff just is finishing this trip. He passed through Marine on Wednesday, um, arrived with some of his family, his brothers and sisters who had uh, paddled a, a little bit that morning with him. Um, he got lunch with the group at the Brookside. Um, couldn't quite finish his burger. I think he wasn't used to such big meals. Uh, after a couple of weeks on the river. Um, at that point, he'd been on, I guess, for about a week and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it was just really great to see him. Uh, I, I got to paddle just him and me for a few miles after lunch, went uh, just down from Marine. And, uh, you know, it was just really cool because he just obviously, he just really embodied the river. It, had, it was obvious that he had spent, you know, 10 or 11 days at that point with the river as his, his primary companion, you know, and he just, uh, he just really, you could just kind of see it in his eyes and in the way he talked and moved that he had uh, really been affected by the river. And um, it was really great. He's had and a lot of great experiences. His motivation for the trip? Yeah, his motivation is, is kind of twofold. Um, and the one is to honor his brother, uh, his older brother, Dick, um, who passed away in January, unfortunately, but who had wanted to uh, come on this trip with him. And so Jeff is really bringing uh, Dick's memory along with him on the trip. And I think that was really uh, special for his family, like I said, who uh, met him in Marine and um, mm -hmm. spent time on the river with him. 
and also to raise awareness of the north woods and waters of the St. Croix heritage area and to really highlight some of the history and culture and stories along the river as well. Well, um, I know that you are uh, providing some guided paddles coming up here on the river. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing? Yep, and I'll keep this short. I know we're running out of time, and I'll just say that I'm leading four paddles this summer, Saturday mornings, out of Arcola Mills near Marine, just a couple miles down the river, with uh, Wahoo Adventures. We're kind of co-guiding uh, these trips, um, and the first one's uh, next Saturday. I think that one's just about full, if not already, but you can go check the other ones on June 19th, July 24th, and August 21st still have spots available. Um, you can go to mywahooadventures.com to, uh, to reserve a spot. They're all inclusive, uh, including a paddle tour. You get the kayak, the PFD, and lunch afterwards, and a tour of the historic Arcola Mills Mansion. So um, it should be fun. That's a terrific. Um, we'll get that on our show page as oh. well. That um, link to you there too so well greg thanks so much for spending time talking all things st croix river with us this morning my pleasure thank you for having me greg seitz is the founder and editorial powerhouse behind st croix 360 check out his website the link is on our show page and i really want to encourage people if you aren't signed up to get his weekly or mostly weekly i think e-newsletter and also supporting his, his efforts, uh, that's, I would really encourage you to do so. I love Greg's work. I think it's great. And I think it's a real service to our area to have somebody like that who works so hard and presents a lot of great information for folks. So yeah. I, I encourage folks yeah. to do that. Really well done. Great stories all the time that give you a, a little more in-depth look at a few things around the St. Croix. So yep. excellent. Yeah. Well, here's our uh, final poll, Gail, if you yeah. want to. Uh... Yeah, what types of guests on River Radio do you prefer to hear from the most? Um, eight, wow, this is great. Thanks, everybody, for taking part, because this is good to see. Um, you 87% said local residents and experts. You like hearing that the most. So let's see, second would be um, environmental outdoors experts, which we have a lot of those locally, too, so that fits. Uh, notable journalists, 47%. Uh, and then we get into leading political figures and medical experts and authors and then finance and economy experts. Did I miss? Oh, travel experts was last at 17%. Okay. So uh, yeah, thanks everybody for your input. That's, that's very helpful to us just to really see what, what's uh, clicking with you. Uh, well, this is it. What a year it's been. It's our 17th and final show of the season for 2020-2021. And along with all of these Saturday morning episodes, we also did three hours of live election night coverage. And Gail and I had the honor of hosting candidate forums for Marine and Scandia City Council candidates and mayoral candidates. So that was fun as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and I kind of ran down the number of the guests we had before when we did that poll question. And uh, we've really covered a lot of subjects, uh, and it's really been kind of a fascinating time for us to be able to talk to so many cool people. Cool people. There's a lot of people out here, too, just in the Valley. So I liked the answer to that poll question. We got a lot of folks out here to interview as well. So yeah. Um, so we we'll really regroup. Do. We'll regroup. We got the summer to to float on the boat or get caught on a sandbar and pull our boat upstream. <laughs> or likely the way things are going right now. Right, yeah. right. So we will, we will regroup and come back in the fall. We will, but we want to thank all of you who have so loyally listened to our show over these past two seasons. We're looking forward to more, as Gail said, but it is time for a summer break. 
And thanks again to all our guests today, Fred D. Sam Lazaro, Kevin Neinheis, our mayor, and Greg Seitz. If you missed any of this, check out our podcast and be sure to tell your friends about it. We take you out with John Gorka's Iris and Pearl and look for us again in the fall. Until then, I'm Gail Knudsen. And I'm Jim Maher and much thanks to Quaslove, Matt Quast, our technical director for everything he's done as well. Thanks everybody, have a great summer. We love you, Matt. Pearl and Iris, Iris and Pearl on some